After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast, along with Jim Callis. I'm John Manuel. Thanks so much for the download on iTunes or visiting us here at BaseballAmerica.com. I want to remind you that every Baseball America podcast is brought to you by MLB Network. Jim, of course, was part of MLB Network's coverage of the 2010 draft. Jim, we don't count 2010 draft players into our midseason update, our official midseason prospect update rankings. We also don't count anybody who's in the major leagues, and that always makes our midseason prospect update a real challenge. And we're going to talk about our midseason prospect update on this podcast. We'll also preview the Futures game on Sunday, where Jim is the official scorer, and I'm in the dugout for the U.S. team interviewing players both for Baseball America but also for XM Radio. So it's a big time of year for us, Jim. It always seems like it's a big time of year. But do we ever have a small time of year? Well, I mean, I, I think because, you know, it used to be, I felt like kind of after the Futures game it would slow down a little bit, but not really because we all have best tools lists we're working on. And, yeah. And then in my case, uh, you know, I did start doing Cape Cod League Top 30, and, you know, you've got 8,000 summer leagues you're tracking. And, <laughs> and the signing deadline is really – you created it, it, it's very similar to the frenzy in the three or four days before the draft and it's even better now john because once again we have the signing deadline would uh, naturally if it was august 15th would be on the weekend that's right so it gets pushed forward to monday so i get a whole weekend again just like last year of making phone calls and trying to figure out what's going on but so now i don't i, I think we're kind of like baseball outside of maybe like a week after, like, between Christmas and New Year's, it seems like there's nothing going on. But other than that, you know, shoot, you know, in January, we just finished Prospect Handbook, but it's early draft preview time. So I was about to say, thank goodness they moved the college baseball season back because it used to be that week after Christmas was when we worked on the college preview issue. I mean, that was <laughs> – there was there would be no downtime if the college baseball season hadn't moved back. But that said, I just spent 20 minutes on the phone with a reporter of the L.A. Times where she asked me two questions about – you know, where the talent comes from, and I talked for like 20 minutes because I was excited about that topic. So uh, it's very strange. Uh, we, we, I complain, but, and yet I really love uh, what we do, and I love the way that we do it as far as our process and our midseason update process was a uh, time-consuming one for me, but a fun one for me as well. And I wound up talking to seven people who've <laughs> done a lot of pro coverage, three or four of them being guys who I just knew uh, scouts that I know who are doing pro coverage and three or four of them being guys who take more of a national view and I uh, was able to meld all that together and merge all that together. I guess it was actually eight people. So that's fun. That's fun to, t- to talk to people in the know and to find out more about prospects. And one thing we you know, I've talked about, I think a little bit, Jim, we talked about it coming into the year that it didn't seem like our top 100 was maybe as deep as other past years have been. And now that you've graduated Jason Hayward and Steven Strasburg in the major leagues, and even guys like Mike Leake, who was like in the 70s on our preseason top 100, or Ike Davis, uh, you know, who's in the 60s, and that, the talent has thinned out with all those graduations. And right now, the, really this time of year is actually like the ebb. If we're, This is the least amount of talent for us to consider. This is the time of year we would, you'd consider the least amount of talent because we're not counting 
recently drafted players, and by July, a lot of guys have already been promoted to the big league. So it really makes it a, a difficult time of year to do this, and yet it's a good time to do it because it's kind of the midway point, the all-star break, all that stuff. No, you're right. It is difficult. I mean, you can't count the draft guys because you really don't know who's going to sign. I mean, it would be silly to throw. I mean, I think Bryce Harper will sign. I think most of the top guys will sign. But it would be silly. It would have been like throwing Garrett Cole on there if we'd been inclined to do that a couple of years ago, or, or Eric, Aaron Crow, or last year, you know, maybe Matt Perk. Great point. And, you know, then they don't sign, so the list is kind of silly. Um, and it's tough. I mean, it's always this time of year, I always feel like I know the least about prospects. Because, like you said, so many guys have been promoted to the big leagues. So, you know, we're, I, mean, I know Jason Hayward and Steven Strasburg and those guys pretty well, but they don't count anymore. And I've been so draft-intensive and then off of the College World Series that, you know, then, then we start putting this top 25 list together with all the guys who no longer qualify. And then you're like, wow, are these guys really that good of a prospect? Or, you know, I'll get asked, you know, hey, you know, so-and-so a top 100 prospect. And, I always feel bad, but, I mean, I, I don't keep a running top 100. It's, it's hard to say with any kind of precision. Yeah, you know, Ethan Martin's the number 62 prospect in baseball right now. Right. Uh, you know, and, and, and then, too, you know, if you went back and looked, I mean, from what we did a year ago midseason and what happens by the end of the season, so much more happens and all the draft guys sign, draft guys sign that the list winds up looking totally different at the end of the year. So it's just, just it's, this list always winds up being a little bit strange to me. Look at the guys on it, and it just seems like almost all of them. I'm, I'm thinking, wow, you know, that guy seems really high. That's right. You got to put 25 guys on there. So and it's kind of like I guess what we say about the draft a lot of times. When scouts will be like, oh, there just really aren't 30 first round picks out there this year. I don't see 30 guys with that kind of talent. But you know, by the time the draft's done, there are 30 first round picks, or in this case, there were 32 this year. That's right, and uh, now that's for sure that that kind of thing uh, that that does happen with our midseason update, uh, for sure. And you know, it's a community kind of effort. But last year's midseason update, you know, we had Jason Hayward number one, that uh, that actually held in, and Mike Stanton was number two, and that actually held in. And uh, this year, uh, at this time last year, Dominic Brown had just kind of started to break in. He was really having his breakout season last year. We had him 17 in last year's prospect update with Desmond Jennings actually being 18. And Mike Trout was in high school. And those are our top three guys. This year, I wound up going, because uh, I ended up uh, having the final say on the list, wound up going with Brown, then Trout, then uh, then Desmond Jennings. But I think in, the, in, in terms of the minor league season, right now, I think it's hard to say there are bigger stories in the minor leagues and Dominic Brown and, and uh, Mike Trout. Dominic Brown, who's already surpassed. I mean, the guy's been the Phillies' number one prospect the last two years. So you know, he's been a fairly high-profile guy here for two years now. And you know, the, now he, he already surpassed his career high in home runs just in the first half at AA Reading. And now he's off to a tremendous start at AAA uh, with Lehigh Valley. I was fortunate enough to see one of his first games when he went to AAA. He they were uh, his AAA debut. He came to Durham and they played a four-game set uh, against the Bulls. And one of those games we broadcast on MLB Network. Um, so I think a lot of people got a chance to see it. But uh, you know, Jim, a couple of years ago we, we kind of took a little bit of a leap with Dominic Brown as our Phillies' number one prospect. And really, the great thing about it from our standpoint is that he's done nothing but impress. It seems like since then, and he keeps getting a little bit better. He still seems there's some raw parts to his game. I think if not for that. Uh, you know, regrettable, I would say, Raul Abanez contract with the Phillies 
uh, handed out prior to the 2009 season, he might already be in the big leagues and might already be a part of their of uh, you know them chasing a third straight pennant. No, you're right. I, mean, I keep waiting for him to call him up too, and then they just don't have you know room unless you're willing to eat Ibanez's salary. But you know, I was looking at this, John, and I think another reason it's kind of thin. Well, you just kind of crystallized a little bit for me when you mentioned Hayward and uh, and Stanton. It's usually it seems like about two years after a draft, the guys really start to hit their stride in the minor leagues. Yeah. And we knew at the time that the 2008 draft was supposed to be a good draft. And you go back and you look, and Peter Alvarez, the number two pick, Brian Mattis, number four pick, Buster Posey is the fifth pick, Lord Beckham's the eighth pick, Jason Castro is the tenth pick, Justin Smokes the eleventh pick. All those guys are are off the board for us because they're in the big leagues. Ike Davis was the eighteenth pick. Andrew Kashner was the nineteenth pick. Ryan Perry, you know, went up last year. He was the twenty-first pick. Yeah. Uh, you know, just so many of those guys shot to the big leagues so quickly that I almost think sometimes, and maybe this happened in two thousand five, which was I think the last draft of four hundred eight that was considered particularly deep. Right. And then when you have a really strong draft. The guys get to the big leagues quicker, and, and then they leave a little bit of a void in the minor leagues. And I think that's what we're having this year. I think that's a great point. Uh, that, like you said, it just kind of really crystallized a little bit for me. And then one other reason that maybe the draft looks a little bit, or the, the minors look a little shallow. And the specific quote I got from two guys, I used one one guy's quote, but that it's position players in particular who seem a little bit uh, disappointing. And even that surprised me because to me, the pitching, who's the top pitching prospect? That's really. Uh, that's a shallow pool. Well, I'm with you because I was looking at your list, and we sort of, I was going to bring that up to you. I mean, you know, you, you were the point man on this list, and, you know, it's funny. The top pitcher you have on the list is Jeremy Hellickson, and like my gut says, Jeremy Hellickson, really the top pitching prospect in the entire minor leagues. But it's like, who else are you going to take? I mean, the highest ceiling is probably Julio Tehran, but he's only pitched a little bit in high class A. Right. Um, you know, Martin Perez... Uh, you know, I would be inclined to take over both of them, but he's getting knocked around some at Double A. You know, Zach Britton, I like some. You know, Michael Pineda is a guy who shot up the charts. You know, Aroldis Chapman. You know, you know, it, I'll, I'll paraphrase Denny Green. Aroldis Chapman is who I thought he was, and who I think you thought he was. Where <laughs> the guy can light up a gun, but he's kind of raw. That's right. But he, he's not Strasburg. Uh, you know, Simone Castro, Mike Montgomery is not. You know, not. You know, a little injured right now. Tyler Matzik really hasn't been cut loose yet. He's only pitched a handful of innings. I mean, right. that's really, I mean, a year ago, uh, no question, you know, who's the top pitch, who's, who will be the top pitching prospect? It would have been Strasburg if he'd signed right out of the draft. No doubt. Coming into the season, it was no question. It was Steven Strasburg. But, but now, I just really, I, I, to me, that's one of the developing stories, I think, for the second half of the season is who will be the top pitching prospect because I just don't think there's, there's anybody who's, who's clear-cut. It, it's a big muddled mess. Yeah, it was kind of like the same thing was actually true last year. I think the pitchers who show any ability just don't stick around in the minor leagues very often, and the ones who do have been Rays. You know, the, the Rays have kept their guys in AAA for a while, so that's how you, you know, last year Wade Davis was 16th on our list, and, uh, you know, Jeff Neiman had two years in AAA, and now Jeremy Hellickson is on his second year in AAA, and I think I like Hellickson a little bit better than you do. I think he's a, a legit, the floor is number three starter in the, Ceiling is number two, and I think he's got a, ch- a good chance to be a number two starter. And maybe, uh, in the words of our some of our college listeners, I'm a little biased because I really do. I see him a lot at AAA Durham. I've talked to the guy. Um, you know, I've seen his development, just the additions that he's made to his repertoire from last year to this year. And that's that is one common theme of some of the guys who are are toward the top of our list. You know, on this list last year, uh, Jesus Montero was number three. 
Jesus Montero was the highest ranked player on our top 100 who was still eligible for this midseason top 25. But you know, like you mentioned with Martin Perez, it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that we uh, are going to go so much on what have you done for me lately. But at the same time, if you're doing something right now, I do think you have to ding those guys a little bit. If Martin Perez were pitching, if he had a 4.30 ERA, I think you know, or, or if his ratios were a little bit better in terms of the hits that he's allowed and his walks per nine innings, I think I'd be a little bit more. Uh, I would have not had him as the third pitching prospect. He probably would have been second or first. The Why thing, would you? I mean, it's, I, I don't. I'm not putting too much stock in the numbers. And Montero is the same way. It's hard to say a guy with a five and a half ERA is the best pitching prospect in the minor leagues. That's all. Yeah, and you know. And Montero's 20. I guess I'll be 21 later this year. But I do think we had some pretty good scouting reports on this guy this year that said, look, uh, the defense, you know, at the end of last year, you had some guys saying, you know, he got better in double-A. Maybe he can stay behind the plate a little bit. We're not hearing that at all this year. And, uh, you know, I think I think he's going to catch better when he hits better. And triple-A, contrary to what Brian Sabian says, triple-A's hard. You know? Yeah, I've heard this you know, a lot of times. I mean, you know, everybody says that making the jump to double-A is the toughest, but triple-A, I think, you, I mean, you're getting pitchers whose command is better. It's a different animal. He's still pretty young, and I'm with you. I mean, I never really thought he was going to be a long-term catcher. You know, I didn't think that was much of a chance to really uh, have that happen. But uh, but I, I still believe in the bat. I mean, we had too many guys throwing 70s or 75s on him when we were doing best tools yep. for the top 100 for both the bat and the power. And, yeah, he's young. Uh, yeah, I, I still think if I'm the Yankees, I still, you know, and I, they're trying, obviously. I'd like to at least get the receiving polished up, and maybe he's a poor man's Mike Piazza, and I just eat the defense and take the bat early on and until I, you know, find a catcher that I'm going to sign away from another team. But uh, but I, I'm still not too worried to him. But you're right, I mean, it's, that's a tough one, too. I mean, he's not having the year. We, we, I, I would have thought, I think I said this at the beginning of the year, People ask, oh, who's going to be my league player of the year? He was a prime candidate just because I thought he was one guy who'd spend most of the year, if not all the year, in the minors and have a huge year. No doubt. I think if we had to pick a minor league player of the year right now, that winner would be Mike Trout, the Angels outfielder, drafted 25th overall last year, Jim. You were there at the draft in Secaucus at MLB Network Studios. Uh, Mike Trout from Jersey drove up. I mean, that was he was the only player there, which I think was really neat that he was there. I think we all liked Mike Trout, and I remember Nathan Rohde especially, our high school writer, was really on Mike Trout last year. We did a feature on him in the high school section, and we wrote about how difficult it was to scout him because the weather in, the, in New Jersey last year was just brutal in terms of a lot of rain. But I, you know, I think that contributed to him falling to 25th in the draft. But I'm still, so I think we liked him better than 25th, and we really, really were thinking that maybe he should have been the number one prospect coming into the year. We aired on the side of the guys who were higher up the ladder, Hank Conger, uh, who's also going to the Futures game. We'll talk about that later. But, uh, but boy, Mike Trout, I think, has just been better than anybody could have expected. Even after the buzz that he created last year in the Arizona League and in the Instructional League, this guy is just killing it. You just don't see teenagers with 530 slugging percentages in the Midwest League. He's hitting 360. He's second in the minor leagues in stolen bases. He's a legit 80 runner. Um, there really doesn't seem like there's a big uh, negative right now for Mike Trout. Everything is everything is up. No, you're right. I mean, I think that you know it's harder to get a feel for those Northeast guys and how much they can hit um, exactly. because you, know, you don't get to see him much and not against a lot of good competition. And you know, he exceeded 
you know, I think we had him ranked about 20th going to the draft. He didn't go that much lower than where we thought he would go. Right. You know, he came in, he tore up the Arizona League. And, you know, I, I mean, going to Midwest League this year, if you told me he'd be hitting 262, you know, and had a 347 on base percentage instead of 362 and 447, I would have said, you know, that's a real solid year for a, a guy who won't even be 19 until August and, you know, doesn't come from a warm-weather state where he's played a lot of good competition. And, and geez, I mean, he's, uh, you mean, you hit the nail on the head. I don't know what else to say other than this guy's even better than we all thought. And, I mean, I, I'll admit, I mean, this is a, when we were doing the MLB draft show last year, uh, Frank Marcos from Major League Scouting Bureau was part of it. And then, you know, obviously we knew Strasburg was the top guy in the draft. And then they, they did this little segment at the beginning of the draft show where Frank talked about the rest of his top five. And I know Ackley was in there, Dustin Ackley was in there, and I can't remember who the other guys were, but the fifth guy was Mike Trout. And I remember thinking at the time, you know, look, Mike Trout's good, but come on, that's a bit much. One of the top five players in the draft. And when I saw Frank this year at the, at the draft show, I said, hey, you were right on Mike Trout. Uh, that, that, you know, if, maybe Frank's the one guy who thought he was this good. But, uh, you know, there, there's, there's nothing not to like about that guy. I mean, he's going to have power, too. I mean, he's, what, about 6'1", 200. There's going to be power to come down the road, too. Uh, yeah, there's some real strength there. He, yeah, he, no, he, he's, he's a real, real, uh, real, real exciting guy. The other, the other player, now, you know, he was in our top 100, but the other player who has, like, the most buzz, it seems like, uh, for this uh, draft, uh, for this top two, mid-season update, I'm sorry, uh, was, was Michael Pineda, right-handed with the Mariners. And uh, I was talking to one evaluator for this list, and he said, yeah, Pineda is kind of a guy who came out of nowhere. You know, I didn't have him on our internal, uh, you know, uh, Mariners list. And and I, I said, well, you should have. We had a number seven in their system, you know. And, uh, and that was where they missing most of the season with being hurt. That's right. Yeah, I had 47 innings last year. And if you read Matt Eddy's scouting report, you know, Matt basically, you know, really was all over it. Just said that his velocity was starting to come back in the Cal League playoffs. And the only issue was the elbow. You know, there was an elbow injury last year. But he was, never had surgery. And he's come back super strong this year. We've had reports of his velocity up to 98. Fastball sitting in the mid-90s. Uh, a cutter was his primary breaking ball in the past, if you can call it a breaking ball. This year it's become much more of a true slider. He throws it with real power. Uh, always had kind of a feel for a changeup and a big body guy. And, Jim, I think the funny thing is that you and I both talked about, man, it's too bad the Phillies didn't get this guy in the Cliff Lee trade because <laughs> then I might have equalized things a little bit. Yeah, yeah, they probably didn't have much of a report on him because he missed most of the season. and. You know, two years ago, he was in the Midwest League, and I always do our Midwest League prospects list, and he had a great year. Uh, I think he had the RA under two, but he didn't quite make the top 20 in that league because of what you said. I mean, he showed some velocity, but, you know, it was more of a cutter than really a true breaking ball. Guys didn't love the delivery a lot. Maybe that led to some of the elbow problems last year. Um, and then they liked the arm. It was more like, okay, you know, this guy is a, you know, probably reliever in the long run. And, you know, when you're doing a top 20 in a league that has 14 teams, Relievers usually, you know, guys who's projected as relievers just not going to make top 20. Cause right. You have too many players, too many teams, but he just just keep getting better and better. And, uh, you know, again, I mean, that was one of the things that jumped out at me, too. I mean, you, I think you want to put him at number 11 yeah. overall on the, on the top 25. And, but, I mean, in terms of the stuff, the, the, the stuff's exciting. And, and not only that, I mean, he's already jumped up to AAA, too. It's not like this guy's tearing up, you know, you know, going back to the Cal League after being hurt there last year. This guy's getting it done in the upper minors. Yeah, that that was a big separating factor for for me was that he is doing it at the upper minors. He did it so well at Double A. Uh, we'll wrap up this section with a guy who's not necessarily getting it done in the upper minors. One of his former teammates, uh, Dustin Ackley, 
who's still on this list. He's number seven. And I, I think people know how strongly we feel about Dustin Ackley, that we really you know, like him as a prospect. He had a brutal month of April. I mean, just uh, just an awful month of April. About as bad as it could have gone for the number two pick in last year's draft. But uh, he has rallied. He's got an a on-base percentage, of, you know, close to if not over 380 right now. I know uh, I was looking at his box score just from last night, and it was over two with two walks. You know, so he keeps on. You know, I'd say 383 right now, 54 walks, 41 strikeouts. Uh, not hitting for a lot of power. The on base is higher than his slugging, only slugging 375. But Jim, I guess, I guess I, I wrote him up as a stock down guy. But just I, I wrote that it's all relative because uh, you know Dusty really. Uh, you know, I think expectations were extremely high, and they were even higher really after we did the best tools thing we did in the spring for the, with the top 100. Uh, does it has his start of his first pro season? dampened your enthusiasm for him, maybe a smidge, or are you really not too worried about it? Because it's really a pretty – the Mariners have thrown an awful lot at him. Yeah, I, I, I'm really not worried about it too much. I, I just think it's a small sample size. He's been a lot better recently. I think it's awful lot to ask of a guy, even a guy who, who people considered, you know, maybe the best, you know, minor league hitter or best college hitter since Robin Ventura to go straight to double-A. And, oh, by the way – Instead of playing first base, which is probably the easiest position, we'd like you to play second base. I mean, he's got the athleticism to do. I just think that's an awful lot on his plate. And in fact, I mean, he, he really reminds me of Ventura. I mean, guys were, you know, not only throwing that out there as he's the best college hitter since Ventura, but my first year at Baseball America was 1989. And, you know, I, I had some frame of reference to some prospects when I came in. But, you know, I heard, you know, Rob Ventura and the 58-game hitting streak. And, mm-hmm. You know, unbelievable bat and this and that. And I don't know if people remember, I mean, Rob Ventura went straight to double-A, too. Um, stayed at third base, which was his position in Oklahoma State. And he had 278 with a 361 slugging percentage. He didn't really do a whole lot either for a guy who was supposed to be unbelievable. And, and that's just, I mean, it, that year just reminds me of what Ackley's going through now. And I, like I said, I think Ackley's had more on his plate. So, uh, yeah, it, it doesn't bother me. Ventura obviously bounced back fine. It wouldn't surprise me at all if Ackley wound up hitting close to 300 by the time the season's over with an on-base percentage in the fours, and uh, I still think the bat's going to play and play very well. Not sure he's a second baseman, right? but, but I, you know, no, I, I was never sure that was, you know, I don't think anybody, even the Mariners thought that, that was a, a lock that he'd be able to play there in the long term. Yeah, I'm surprised that he has uh, remained there, but uh, that's the thing to me, double A and moving him, you're not just switching positions, you're moving him out of the middle of the infield. That's a big deal. There's a lot of responsibilities beyond just catching the ball when it's hit to you. Uh, for a second baseman to learn, if you never played that position, um, I think there's a lot, you know, a lot that doesn't actually had to learn. We have a couple of questions at our Facebook page. You can always send us questions for podcasts at podcast at baseballamerica dot com. Dean Fox asks, "How would you evaluate Mike Miner's progress? When's the earliest you see him in Atlanta?" I think you had an SBA question about this, Jim. But I know one of the things that I gathered about Mike Miner in this process, he just missed the twenty five. For me. Um, but Mike Miner's stuff is better than it was last year at Vanderbilt. He's actually added velocity as a pro, and the scouting report that I'm pretty sure I wrote last year, which was that there were some scouts who thought that him adding a curveball as a junior degraded all his stuff because it raised his arm slot ever so slightly, and that his fastball was less crisp, his slider was worse, and even his changeup was worse because they were all coming out of a slightly higher slot than his natural slot because he wanted to stay on top of that curveball. 
Uh, I did talk to, I had two sources tell me that their reports on Mike Miner this year are that he's not throwing the curveball. It was fastball, slider, change. And just like this scout predicted last year when I did Tennessee in the draft, his stuff is crisper and better. The velocity is better, I think, than maybe anyone expected. He's touched a lot of 96s, according to people we've talked to. The slider's better. It's a solid average pitch, and the changeup is plus. So this is a guy with a plus fastball, a plus changeup, an average slider, uh, command, some moxie. The result is, in his first pro season, he's at AAA, and he's among the minor league leaders in strikeouts. So I'm uh, I'm still – I'm not even sure that I'm even with you anymore that saying that he shouldn't have been the number seven pick. I, I just think he's, you know – He's right where he really – he's back to where he was in the summer of 2008 when he was our summer college player of the year, and we thought he was a, you know, going to be in the first ten picks. Yeah, I mean, he, I, he's definitely taken a step forward. The interesting thing, too, is his command, which has been a strong student, has not been as a sharp uh, right. as sharp this year. But uh, I still give him a lot of credit. He's going to get to the big leagues quick. I don't think he's one of the top seven players from 2009 draft when all is said and done. But on the same token, if you're taking a guy you have to sign for slot and have to, uh, you know, sign for a certain amount, you could have done, done a lot worse than take Mike Miner. Yeah, he's had he's had a tremendous year. I think really all, the, all three of the, you know, you had Strasburg last year, and then you had like, okay, who's the next best college pitcher? And that group, uh, the, they were, that, the candidates in that group were Kyle Gibson, uh, Mike Miner, uh, Alex White, and Mike Leake. Obviously, Mike Leake has garnered the most attention and deserves all the credit in the world for jumping straight to the big leagues. But Kyle Gibson, I think, was the guy that we ranked the highest out of those pitchers last year after Strasburg. He's had a tremendous year. He's had a great start the other day at AA in New Britain. Uh, Alex White's at AA, fastball up to 95 mile an hour. Uh, he just missed this list. His slider is still below average, really kind of gives me pause, but the splitter has still been a, a wipeout pitch for him. He's really handling left-handed hitters very well. And uh, so all those guys are really uh, that college pitching class uh, was a thinner kind of a th- on the thin side last year, but that that top group of college pitchers have all uh, gotten their pro careers off the very very good starts, and obviously Strasburg at the top of that. The other question we had, Jim, was uh, Oscar Schutt, who I believe is an agent, wants to ask uh, what's the long term projection for Brian Morris. Brian Morris originally drafted by the Dodgers, now traded to the. Uh, was traded to the, to the Pirates and the Pirates organization. He's actually on the Futures game as a replacement. Uh, what's your take on Brian Morris? I've always liked him. I mean, I, I think with Morris, the question is just can he stay healthy? I mean, he's always had a good arm and a good curveball. Uh, it's just been a matter of staying healthy. I mean, even after the, the Pirates got him, I think he came down with, I want to say, bicep tendonitis and then a foot injury. And I mean, he just has not stayed healthy. And if he can stay healthy, I mean, I think he's got as much upside as just about any of the pitchers in their system. Yeah, I think I think so too. And uh, I mean, I always associate him with uh, you know the uh, 2004, I guess it was, high school draft class in the Southeast. It was either 04, 05, where the top three high school guys in that region were him, uh, Cody Satterwhite, and uh, Chaz Rowe. And I remember arguing with you and Alan Simpson about those those guys. And I was a Brian Morris guy, uh, and uh, I really didn't like Cody Satterwhite at all. I've never liked Cody Satterwhite. Uh, no offense, Cody. It's other personal, but I just don't like you as a player. Uh, this time it is personal. And then, um, and then you know, uh, I think Alan Simpson might have been a Chaz Rowe guy who's never quite uh, panned out with the Rockies but was a second-round pick. 
But none of those guys, uh, three high school pitchers, if one of them gets to the big leagues, it might even be an upset by the by now. It's the Baseball America podcast with John and Jim. Uh, Brian Morris, as we said, is a futures gamer. Let's re- touch on the futures game here, Jim, before we wrap up the podcast. Um, it's a 12th, I guess, futures game. So 1999 was the first futures game back in Fenway Park. Have you been to – how many futures games have you been to? Well, I was not with Baseball America in 1999. I right. was during my sojourn at Stats Inc., so I missed that one. And in 2001, my wife was pregnant with our fourth child, and I think had me go to the College World Series just about killed her being pregnant with the other three kids. So I did not go to that one in Seattle. And I think I missed 2008 in Yankee Stadium. So I think I have missed. Oh yeah, you weren't three there. And I forgot you weren't there, at Yankee Stadium. We would have had to probably go three to the hotel room in New York for that one too. That would have been that would have been tremendous because that hotel room was basically the size of a closet. But, I've been um, rooting for no. Uh, no rain delay this year because uh, last year that was just brutal. However long that rain delay was, it just took forever. I forgot about that because I, during the rain delay, I actually had a great interview, great interview, uh, as Jim Rome would say, with Brett Wallace, where I uh, initially mocked him for his fake uh, fight at Arizona State with Ike Davis, <laughs> and, and he rolled his eyes at me, and then I was laughing as I said it, and then he got in on the joke. And uh, I just think it's funny that uh, you know now Brett Wallace – and that guy, since that game, he was playing. He was the home representative. So he was on the cover of our magazine as the Cardinals prospect at the Futures game played in St. Louis. He was traded to Oakland, which I think he was going to be very excited about because he's a Northern California guy. And I think he was really would have loved to, would have loved to have played for the A's. Then he was immediately traded again to the Blue Jays. And now with the Blue Jays, he plays first base. Uh, at AAA, and now he's blocking. Although I don't know that he's really blocking David Cooper because David Cooper's having a terrible year. But he's blocking David Cooper, and those guys were high school teammates on that NorCal travel ball team that also included James Darnell and Brandon Crawford. So, uh, just some of these uh, attachments. Uh, when you mentioned that, so that uh, I think of interviewing Brett Wallace in the dugout. So, we both have really, I think, neat roles with the Futures game, uh, with me uh, in the dugout and you being the official scorer. And, uh, you know, it, it's one of my favorite events of the year. Um, you know, one of the things I, I'm looking forward to in the, is, I guess, who's a player that you're really looking forward to seeing in this year's Futures game? I mean, I know last year we were all really looking forward to, to Hayward and Stanton, and for whatever reason they never played in the game at the same time, which was vexing. I think that alone the lineup is like, let's not showcase these guys at all. So. Yeah, that was vexing. But uh, who's a player that you want that you want to see the most? Is Tehran on that short list for you? I was not expecting the, you to, to, to mention the muscular ref, Hak uh, Ju Lee, out there. That was a that was a name I wasn't I wasn't looking for out of you. So that, that that's a good one. You know, I'm I'm very much looking forward to seeing Tanner Shepherds in this event. To me, Tanner Shepherds is just kind of uh, you know he just he's I just want to see him. I want to see him in person. Um, I've seen him compared to Justin Verlander. I've seen him compared to Daniel Bard. Uh, you know, he clearly has an electric arm. And we, I put him 25th on this list. 
I do think relievers have enough value in today's game that they matter more as prospects, whether they throw 80 innings or not. You can't have a championship team without a championship-caliber bullpen in today's game. So those players are important. And if he's a championship-caliber closer, I think he's one of the top 25 prospects in the game. But obviously the Rangers are trying to have him start right now. So, uh, And that, you know, he's made five starts. You really can't draw a lot of conclusions out of that. But uh, I'm, I always look for guys with big-time velocity in a game like this. I'm also really intrigued to see Zach Britton. This is a guy who, again, re- referencing back to our best tools that we did with the top 100, uh, we, we got so much feedback. Uh, you got so much feedback on Britton's sinker, and I saw a lot of that in this uh, this exercise and wound up ranking him 10th on our midseason prospect update. So I really want to see that that sinker for myself and see uh, and kind of see what he's like uh, just up close with a, a left-hander with a two-seamer like that. But, you know, the, the, there's not, you know, like, I remember the first Futures game I went to was the one down in Houston where you had the BP group was like B.J. Upton, Delman Young, David Wright, I think, was in that same BP group, and then Aaron Hill. And Aaron Hill was like, oh, I don't really belong here. I think Aaron Hill's hit more home runs in a single season than, than any of those guys. And plus he won the MVP award that day in Houston. So Aaron Hill really did belong. But I remember that BP group, those guys were just sending balls all over uh, whatever the field was called at that time, whether it was Enron or uh, or Minute Maid. So I'm not sure who the what the best BP group is going to be because you have some real speedsters. But I think Mike Trout, like you said, is a guy I really want to see. I definitely want to see Mike Moustakas take BP because his raw power sounds significant and his track record for hitting for power is quite significant. Carlos uh, Peguero might be a good BP guy too. I, I'm still not convinced he's more than just kind of a, a one-trick guy. But, I mean, he's got tons of raw power too. And, you know, at least we have Dominic Brown and Brett Jackson to look at also. Right. Yeah, the U.S. outfield is probably the, the, the position with the most tools um, in, a, in a good way. Uh, you've definitely got some, some 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 upside players there. And Brett Jackson's a guy who's really, you know, every time I see Brett Jackson, I think about Mike Roberts, his coach from the Cape Cod League, uh, Brian Roberts' dad, comparing him to J.D. Drew. And, uh, you know, my B.A. experience started with the J.D. Drew era. You know, 1997 was my first full year here, and he, that was the year that Drew had the only 30-30 season in college uh, college baseball history. I don't know if you remember, Jim, there was a guy at Utah that year who almost matched him. Do you remember uh, that by chance? Nick Freitas? No, no. That's Southern Utah. That was not, It was in 1997. I forget the guy's name. It's like Casey Child or something like that. He had 31 home runs and 27 steals. Okay, yeah, that one. That one, that one I, I don't know if I ever knew that one. Well, well. Anyway, that guy. Uh, so that, that's the you, know, you don't. Yeah, that's the only thirty thirty season. So to me, JD Drew, and obviously his draft saga, those next two drafts. So he's always. I always have JD Drew on like a upper upper level of prospect in my own head, even though his major league career hasn't quite worked out like that. So when I have someone compared to JD Drew, that's always a very flattering comparison. So, and then Brett Jackson's really kind of made good on those this year. He's had a he's had a tremendous season. So. Uh, I think we're looking forward to the Futures game. How much do you really draw from the Futures game, Jim, just from, from seeing the players with your, with your eyes and being able to – I mean, th- does it inform the way you view those players or rate those players in any way? Not really because, I mean, the pitchers you only get to see for one inning, and, they're, and they, they know it. They're, they're throwing for the gun in a lot of cases. So you're not really seeing, like, what any of the starting pitchers are really going to pitch at over the course of a game. I mean, I think the only thing that, that, that jumps out – and, again, there aren't – really anything. There's nobody jumps to mind that, that comes as an example of this. But I mean, if a guy had like a 
an odd-looking arm action or swing, that might jump out at you a little bit, but you just don't get to see enough of them in action, really. You know, last year with Hayward Stanton, right. we saw like two swings. Now, I mean, I, I will admit last year I thought Chris Carter looked a little bit stiff to me, but then I've had any number of pro scouts who you know what they're doing more than I do tell me how much they like Chris Carter, so, so what do I know? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like, and, you know, a couple of years ago, you say this, I, I say the same thing, like Henry Rodriguez was kind of the buzz of that Futures game at uh, Yankee Stadium because he hit a 100 miles an hour a couple times, but he also fell down on the mound. And I remember thinking, that can't be good, you know, that can't be good that he that he fell down. And I then the next year, um, I saw Trevor Bauer at USA College National Team fall down in mid-delivery as he was pitching to Guatemala. And I remember thinking, this Trevor Bauer guy is a clown. I mean, I can't believe this guy. But then, then I saw him this year and the kind of season he had and the long toss and the hoy hoy and the javelin and all that stuff. And now I'm fully on the Trevor Bauer bandwagon. So, um, like he said, you can only put a little so you can only put so much stock in our eyes and uh, and what we see. Like he said, we're not scouts. I don't think any club ever would judge players on one look either, so especially a look as short as a Futures game. But I do think they use it. I do think that they file reports on these guys. I think it's helpful, and it basically is a quasi-showcase before the trade deadline. And at the very least, it gives you a lead, it can give you a snapshot or an idea of what a player can do. Um, but obviously, I don't think you can really judge guys off what they do in the Futures game. And I think you're right. I think it's more just kind of getting a look for what a guy's swing looks like or or what his arm might look in infield. You know, it's a way you can get, like you said, a snapshot of, of 50 or so guys at once you know, without having to go around the 20 different cities to see everybody. I do, uh, I, one thing for, is for sure, the clubs value it highly because we get there early and the stands and during BP and infield are just crawling with scouts from every organization. And some organizations seem like they send like five or ten guys to that event. So uh, I think it's always stood out to me as a, an event that is one of the most viewed. Uh, it's viewed. Uh, it's, it's scouted as heavily. It seems like as the as the Cape is in the summer, or uh, like the Fall League is uh, in Arizona every year. So uh, Jim will see you out in Anaheim. Always uh, always uh, entertaining uh, to get together for that. And uh, are you staying for the All Star Game or not? No, no, I'm leaving Monday afternoon. So. I'm I'm doing the same thing. So uh, for Jim Callis. I'm John Manuel. We might even record a podcast out in Anaheim uh, during Futures uh, Game Weekend. Well, I was thinking of trains in the background, but I guess that was at the Under Armour Classic. That was Under Armour, which was out, that, that was outstanding. That's one of my all-time favorite podcasts. So, <laughs> We'll uh, talk to you from the Futures Game. For Jim Callis, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you next time on the Baseball America Podcast, brought to you by MLB Network. So long, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.